at some point we've lost the idea of being human first and not being our thing. Like you yep. see, even with like highly successful business people where it's like their whole identity is that, and then their company gets sold. Yep. You know, they get bought out and then all of a sudden they're, well, what do I do now? It's like, gotta have your thing that lets you recalibrate. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to, you'll just go, you'll go nuts. Like, and, and it, you got to realize there's more to life than achievement. All right, welcome back to episode three of the Wake Up With Wellbrook podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris Wellbrook. Well, first, I want to give a huge thank you to our first featured guest last week, uh, Vanessa Gonzalez. She shared an incredible story, um, you know, of her strength uh, and her resilience and her growth um, during her time as a wrestler and, and, and now as a coach. Um, and I've got feedback from people, you know, of all ages from honestly all over the country, um, just either identifying with Vanessa's story or parts of Vanessa's story or just having and hearing her words and having those serve as inspiration, you know, her honesty, her vulnerability, um, and her strength, you know, which is, which is really cool because that was the point of the podcast, right? The point of the podcast was, you know, what does strength really mean or what does it really mean to be strong? Um, and it was really cool to get people's feedback on that. So, um, if you hadn't, if you haven't listened to it already, please check us out. It's on, you know, every podcast, you know, Spotify, Apple, Google, all those platforms. So, um, it's episode two. What is what does strength really mean? Um, but honestly, I thank everyone every week, right? And, and this podcast and this experience, I'm living in such a state of gratitude. Um, you know, it's it's honestly a dream come true to one have people who want to come on this show and to to have you know you guys listening to this show. Um, I'm all about spreading positivity, spreading joy, spreading good news, and um, but by doing that in you know, such a raw, honest, and unfiltered way, right? And I think that there is so much power um, and strength and unity that can come from hearing people's stories, right? And the whole story, not just the good parts, but, you know, the struggles um, and and the times where you fall flat on your face, right? Um, But you have to get there. You have to fall flat on your face in order to pick yourself back up or to, like, allow other people to help you get up in that process right so that's the goal of this of this podcast and you know i'm really grateful to have the opportunity to get on this mic and actually talk about real issues right and real things that are going on in real people's lives you know all over this world um you know with that being said and this is kind of transitioning into into our second guest and uh, i'm super excited to to kind of welcome um my longtime friend. I've known him since I was 14. We competed at the at the World Karate Championships together in, in uh, Slovenia, uh, Novo Mesto, Slovenia, actually. Um, and you know, um, Kyle Moran. Sorry, let me just introduce him. Kyle Moran. He he is the founder and the coach at Moran Academy for Strength and Speed, uh, or MASS. It's a gym in, in Carmel, Indiana. They focus on Olympic style weightlifting. They do powerlifting and they do youth athletic development. Um, you know, I really thought, and kind of going back to what I was saying, like he immediately jumped into my mind about getting him on here when I was thinking about what does the journey to success look like, right? Because when, you know, working with young people and, and, and spending time with people in their 20s and their 30s, right? 
success is often depicted as this kind of like you pick your major, you pick your career, and then you just kind of move up the ladder and it's a two-step and you're at success. But the truth is, once you're out there in the real world, life hits you. And life isn't always that simple. I mean, life is pretty much never that simple, let's be honest. Um, and there's ups and downs and there's times where you have to, you, there's, you, you don't know the path forward and you have to take risks and you have to have faith. Um, and Kyle's story is one of tremendous growth and resilience um, where, you know, he has had to take leaps of faith, right? And, it's, and it has been his curiosity that has fueled him to continue to grow, not just, you know, as an individual, but as a coach. And, you know, how does he, through it all, he has always kept his passion for what he does, right? His end goal in mind, and he's always had this service for others. That's has been his mindset um, going through everything. So it, it's, I'm super excited to have him on here. I'm also super excited to hear how his faith um, has been a foundational and integral part of his journey. So I'm super excited to welcome it on. But first, before we get started on that, um, please head over to Instagram if you have not already and follow us at Chris Wellbrook for full episode listings. Um, go visit us on our website as well as a little bit of background on the show. Um, the website is wakeupwithwellbrook.com. And for any support we would love, please go to patreon.com backslash wakeupwithwellbrook. All right, guys, let's hit it. I'm joined by my longtime friend, uh, Kyle Moran. I've known him since, okay, I was 14. I don't even know how old you were when I was <laughs> at Slovenia. But World Championships, uh, yeah. amazing dude. Um, been doing karate, and now he's uh, transitioned into the weightlifting scene. So, Kyle, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Um, yeah, let the listeners know. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously my name is Kyle Moran. Uh, I am the founder of Moran Academy for Strength and Speed. We are a uh, basically a multifaceted training facility in Carmel, Indiana, with a primary focus on Olympic weightlifting, uh, youth athletic development, and powerlifting. Um and basically we do, we have everyone from the, a 73 year old that can deadlift. I think she just hit hundred kilos, which is pretty sweet. Cause she's or 74 this year. Wow. And then we also have kids as young as eight uh, with everybody in the middle, but uh, a primary emphasis on the sport of Olympic weightlifting. Um, and yeah, man, so that's kind of what I do. Uh, my fiance owns that with me. So we do, that's what we do. And uh yeah, man. It's so tell me, tell me, like weightlifting seems like a pretty specialized sport. So how did you yeah. get into that? Yeah, so um, so I got into weightlifting uh, or Olympic weightlifting because I was uh, just not a good athlete, but I was always curious on how to get better. So I was on uh, the AAU USA Karate team mm-hmm. with you, um, and then also competed frequently in USA Karate. And basically, I just kept going. I was like the third place king. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that, oh, you, that, you own like, that so well too. I know. <laughs> like if you've seen the document series losers where it's like the story about like the guy who got third or the guy who got fourth, <laughs> that's me. Um, but I wanted to get better. And so uh, I was always kind of curious on how that happened. So I tried as much as I could through the karate world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, like, you know, the karate world, it's, you know, all these myths on like how to train and this and that. It's kind of antiquated training philosophies. 
Right. So I basically said, screw it. I'm going to figure out what the science says on how to get bigger, faster, stronger, more dynamic, all that stuff. Is that what you felt like was like holding you back was like your agility yeah. and that stuff? Okay. Yeah. Cause I was always pretty well conditioned. I didn't get tired often, but I was short for karate. Right. Most karate players are tall and lanky, basically mm-hmm. like a soccer player. Yeah. Um, and especially with some of the weight class changes, I had to figure out a way to keep up with these dudes that were 5'10 fighting at my uh, like under i think my lowest weight class i thought was minus 60 so under 132 pounds so like how right. do i do that at five foot six with right. little arms so yeah. uh i kind of had to figure that out or short arms i should say uh so i kind of <laughs> had to figure that out uh, and yeah basically that was what got me into olympic weightlifting just because the research is pretty uh pretty cut and dry and power development force development with the weightlifting movements being the best for power, uh, learning how to like be mobile, uh, range of motion, stuff like that. Cause you really can't complete the movements unless you have good range of motion. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of went down that rabbit hole. And then, uh, I went to the Arnold, uh, in 2011 and saw my first, uh, Olympic weightlifting meet like in person, it was, uh, team USA versus the South Pacific Islands, And, uh, I was actually prepping for karate worlds at the time and I watched that meet and I was like, all right, well, um, after this tournament, I think I'm going to switch and see what this other sport's all about. And 10 years later, yeah, 11, 11 years this year, 11 years wow. later. We are. That's so, crazy. Yeah. And that's such a leap of faith before we go to that whole leap of faith thing. Um, mm-hmm. when you say USA versus South Pacific, does that um, like, is that like accumulation of like, like how, how do you rank? How do you, yeah, you so, know what I mean? If there's yeah. teams, right. So basically what they did was they took the top 10 lifters in the U.S. So there's a formula that they used to use called the Sinclair uh, Sinclair coefficient, which Mm -hmm. basically all does is it relates how much you lift relative to your body weight relative to the uh, previous world record. Mm. And you get a score off that. And so basically they took, and regardless of weight class, there's a score. And that's kind of how they even it out across the weight classes. Um, So they did that. And basically took the top 10 from the U.S. and the top 10, um, from the South Pacific Islands. And they basically just went heads up. It was pretty sick. It was uh, kind of a different format than I, than uh, was being used at the time. Yeah. And basically all the guys lifted and then who had, whichever team had the highest cumulative Sinclair coefficient won that, that event. Um, That's so, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, did, the U- did the U.S. win that one or no? Uh, we did. Yeah. At the time oh. we were four, we had uh, two Olympians on the team. Because uh, South Pacific – islands were pretty pretty legit they had like an 18 year old that i still remember like we stayed in the same hotel as them and this kid was just like a giant ball of he was just it it was insane he was like 18 i think he cleaned and jerked like 240 kilos so that's insane that's a lot that's well over 500 pounds he's like 18 year old kid not as nice as can be soft as kid you've ever met but so that was pretty sick to see live those are some of like, even like when we did karate tournaments, like being international and being at hotels and seeing these like specimen of people like walking mm-hmm. around. And I'm like, how did, you know, Ukraine come up with this person that I have? To yeah. Fight? Like how did I'm these- 15 years old. <laughs> I swear he's got four kids. You know well, what I mean? And a full beard. You just see people that, especially when you're a kid, that like, we're not the same human. Like no. I get that we're both 15, we're both 18, whatever. Yeah. We're built, like if we do a DNA test, you're coming back as something yeah drastically different yeah like, extraterrestrial I, you know they say like what is it like humans share 90 percent dna with a banana like i got yeah. those genes like i'm a banana <laughs> and then this, this guy, you're a much better fruit than me like, 
Like, I don't know what this guy is, but he, there's no way him and Banana are, are close to each other. Exactly. So, oh my gosh, crazy. Uh, but tell me, tell me more about. So you, so you made that decision, right? And I'm, I'm remembering that. So you went into training. Does that mean you went to personal training first? Is that what you did in order to get into the fitness world, or uh, how no, was that so, jump? Yeah. So I kind of. Uh, Let's see. How did that work out? So basically, okay. So actually, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Oliver Casey, moved down to Louisville. So yeah. back in 2011. So anymore, if you Google USA Weightlifting Club Indiana, you'll find about 20. It's all over the place. Pretty much everyone has a USA Weightlifting gym okay. within 15 minutes of their house. Back when I got into, back in my day, I feel so. Old. Gosh, uh, but you and the big beard was, now. I know. There was four weightlifting registered weightlifting clubs in the state. Mm-hmm. One was in Crown Point. One was in Bloomington, one was in Brownsburg, but I ne- could never find it. And then one was in Indy, and I could never find it. It was just one guy who actually is now one of my biggest mentors, but mm, uh, I was at the time. a hard time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so my buddy Oliver started going to a CrossFit gym down in Louisville, and they had a weightlifting coach there, uh, Ben Carter, who was pretty, who was a very good weightlifting coach. Um, and he was like, hey, man, we got this weightlifting coach down here if you want to learn how to do this stuff. And I was like, yeah, that'd be sweet. So I would go to Louisville probably once a month just mm. to learn how to lift. Um, and I would train. I had a good buddy who had a chiropractic office here that had a gym in it as well. I would train there, send Ben videos. He'd be, you know, that was terrible. That was good. Here's how yeah. to fix it. Um, and then I go to, and so I just kind of did that until um, probably 2000, early 2012 where I found uh, actually one of my uh, a big mentor of mine that unfortunately we had a falling out, but he, uh, let's see, I met him in 2000. Maybe I met him in 2011 too. I don't know. We met and he was just starting a weightlifting gym actually out of another gym. And so we kind of linked up um, and yeah. And so I started coaching for him. Once he started looking for a facility, like a building for his own facility, uh, because of my years of teaching karate, like I may not have been the best at weightlifting, but he was like, Hey man, can you coach? We right. had like three people at the time. Right. One, it was like his wife, one other guy and like two other guys. So he was mm-hmm. like, Hey, I got to go look at these properties. Can you run training today? And that's mm-hmm. how I just got into coaching weightlifting was, was through that. Um, and then and at the same time I was, I was still going to ball state. So I also had, um, coach Jason Roberson up at ball state who kind of took me in and let me train in the athlete weight room instead of the general weight room. And then like, I got to sit in on like their uh, GA meetings for strength conditioning and stuff. Uh, so yeah, just kind of between Dan and Dan Brown was uh, the guy I first started working with between Dan and coach Robertson. I just kind of worked. was always in a gym. I just put myself in. I never got to the personal training gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just not my style. Like even when I was teaching karate, private lessons were fun, but I enjoy just getting people better for competition. Right. Uh, either getting people better for competition or like brand new, like, like the mm-hmm. mighty mice, like the three to five year olds, I loved them. And then like right. the kids trying to win world, everyone right. in the middle, I've gotten better, obviously with age. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was terrible. <laughs> Those kids <laughs> hate me. Um, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into coaching and then just kind of life rolled from there. Yeah. Uh, coached for Dan for a long time. Uh, we separate, went separate ways. Started coaching at Three Kings. Uh, Bryn Jaffrey took me in and was like, hey, man, you're a decent weightlifting coach. Here's a corner of my gym. Don't kill anyone. So he let me do that for a couple of years. At the time I was doing that, I was also working full-time at Eli Lilly uh, in production. 
And then uh, a buddy of mine was getting ready to close. He was he played for Indy 11 and just got uh, – how did that work? He had just gotten a contract to go play in Pittsburgh or something. And he ran a personal training facility in Carmel, just a little, like, boutique. It was, like, 500 square feet. It was basically a closet. And he was like, hey, man, uh, I've got this older lady. She's 70. I don't really know how to train her. Um, I know you've got your degree in this stuff. Do you think you can help her? So I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. And then I realized I only needed. And then so my buddy was like, hey, man, do you want this space? I got to I'm getting ready to move this or that. At first, I was like, no, I'm cool. Just doing my thing out of Three Kings. Then I realized I needed like eight people to pay rent. And I could just do my own thing. I didn't have any rules on what I could do. I could kind of. Mm. Uh, do my own thing so I was like all right well you know what actually I think I will take it and that's how Moran Academy started um, I was running it three days a week while coaching at three kings three days a week for a while um, and then in November of 2018 December of 2018 wow it's been a while I, now yeah Brent and I talked and he was like hey man why don't you just go run this thing he was like no hard feelings he was like and it was a good call on his part he was like I can't have someone who owns another facility coaching out of my facility it was like and you don't want to like have to juggle that so mm-hmm. why don't you go do this if it doesn't work out we can talk but like go do your thing i support you in it i'll send people to you if we need help and we've had a great working relationship since and so yeah that's awesome dude and we've just kind of grown from there on this journey that's so cool what would you like what would you say would be like your keys to success because obviously it did not seem like at least from that what you just said it was not a straight path where you like okay i want to do this thing and then cool i did three three steps and i'm at success and i got my own place like what would you find what would what were the keys to your success there first key to success uh is that there is no three-step fix for anything you're gonna do Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know you get the instagram gurus that like just do this and that whatever but they ignore the 18 hour work days they put in or the times they were dirt poor. Like there's a, but the primary key to success, the first one is a quote we actually have written on the wall in the gym. Uh, it's dream big and dare to fail uh, from Norman Bond. He was, uh, he ran the Iditarod something like, I'm not even kidding, like 22 times. He was on like the original expedition with Admiral Byrd down to uh, Antarctica. Wow. He has a mountain named after him down in Antarctica. He lived to be like 102. He wow. climbed his own mountain in 90. Like, this yeah. dude's a G. He's awesome. If you ever get to see his book, it's worth picking up. Uh, but dream big and dare to fail. And basically all that means is, like, go for it. Whatever it is, you're going to and be okay with failure because it's going to happen. Mm. I don't care what Instagram shows you. I don't care what blog re- you read. Every, you're going to fail. Uh, and it's – unless you're willing to fail, don't bother going for that goal. So mm-hmm. if, if this goal is not so important to you that you're willing to fail over and over and over again to figure it out, then it's probably not the goal you really want. Then it, you're probably infatuated with it. You're not in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's uh, critical, especially for young, younger people to, to realize, because it's real easy to be like, you know, I want to be a, you know, day trade, like day trading is huge right now with like the 18 to 23 year old crowd. Like mm-hmm. I want to be this big day trader. But then they lose, you know, they throw a thousand dollars in and then they lose four thousand dollars. If you're not willing to take that loss, then right, probably right. this career is not for you. Um, and so, yeah, so dream big and dare to fail. Number one. Uh, second is always be curious. Uh, kind of like I was saying earlier, I was never the most athletic. Um, I'm not the smartest. Uh, but the only thing that's ever helped me is I'm infinitely curious. Like I will never like. 
if I if there's a problem, I will search and search and search until I find an answer that I'm happy with. And then I do more and more. And then I just try to improve on that answer. Uh, so always be curious, whether it's schoolwork, whether it's relationship stuff uh, with your parents, with your significant other. Uh, if there's like, a, like we've all been through things where you're not clicking with someone, like there's a reason why you just have to be curious, curious enough to find it. Sometimes that means you have to look within yourself, look at your own biases. Um, and then other times that means like, hey, you might need to get outside help. So uh, always be curious and then be self-aware. So know your strengths, know your weaknesses and accept them. Like everybody says, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. Like that's like every job interview mm-hmm. one-on-one. But unless you accept those and mm. acknowledge and accept those, yeah. one, you can't fix the weaknesses. If you haven't accepted it yet, yeah. you're never going to actually take the time to work on it. And if you don't know your strengths and you aren't borderline, like, uh, you know how they always talk about Michael Jordan being arrogant, on the, like a mm-hmm. real jerk. On the, if you're not borderline arrogant when you're doing your task, as far as I'm comfortable, like, I'm sure that I know how to do this. So if it's, mm-hmm. whether it's test taking, whether it's, um, when, like, when I write a program for someone, uh, it's all, there's always, you know, when you're doing stuff for others, especially as a coaching role, your biggest concern is failing the athlete. I don't get People don't have to like me. I don't have to, I don't need any recognition, but if I failed that athlete, then that's going to hurt me more than anything else in the world. Right. And so knowing, even if it's like, man, I'm not sure about this. I want to try this. Just having that fallback of like, okay, Hey, you know, you know, your stuff. It might work. I mean, it's all guess. Life is guess and check anyway. So mm-hmm. you're, you're not throwing it, just throwing random shit at a wall. You know it, know your strengths, trust it, and see what happens. And then if there's an area that you're weak in, accept that enough to go fix it. And I think that's, um, I think probably those three things would be what everybody, if you do those, if you're always curious, you're willing to fail, and you accept who you, your strengths and weaknesses, I think anybody can can kind of do whatever they want, uh, as corny as that sounds. But I am a big believer in doing what you shouldn't, shouldn't quote unquote, shouldn't be able to. I agree. And I'd love that last one, accept your weaknesses, because that that is like that levels the playing field, right? That gives you, okay, a starting point, right? Okay, I need to work yeah. on my weaknesses here. And um, I love I love what you said right there about, okay, anybody can do anything. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen like that. It just means yeah. that you are going to be able to actually put in the work necessary to yeah. down the road, get what you need to see exactly. or whatever, realize your goal. And it's well, not infinite. If about it, like if you dive head at first, like we have, I have this conversation with some of our athletes pretty frequently. If you go all in on a sport or a job or a, or a hobby or an interest, and let's say, like the reality is most of the guys I coach, none of them are ever going to make the Olympics. It just, they're Olympians for a reason that the 0.1% of the population, right? Most, no, most coaches, 99% of coaches are never going to coach an Olympian. But if you can get the guys to buy into work, to doing all the things, the worst case scenario, they probably are going to end up qualifying for nationals, which is getting harder and harder, or they're going to end up on a podium somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that old saying of, even though it's like wrong from an actual like space standpoint, but it's like you shoot for the moon, whatever, you'll land amongst the stars, that type of thing. Yeah. If, you go, if you go for it, you might not get it, but you might get pretty close. And if you and you never know, you might get lucky. Right. So, it's is worth worth whatever you're passionate about. It's worth going for and um, just try it. What's I mean, you life's pretty long. Like I get 
we're kind of stuck on the like you only have one life to live this is that yeah. but i mean i left so the advice that i took when i was i'd say i just turned 30 when i quit lily was that one of my coworkers. i was always taking time off to coach or even when we had breaks or whatever i was doing stuff coaching wise he's like dude why don't you just open your own gym and i was like i don't know man like i'm 30 i'm you know trying to get secure this side the other thing and he was like okay so do it for five years you're 35 you still have 50 years to figure something else out if it doesn't work out mm. i was like it's a good mindset actually a lot of sense he was like you're 35 you have a degree go for it. Or you're 30 you have a degree go for it and if it doesn't work you go back in the workforce and you can still work for another 30, 40 years and be fine. Yeah. I was like, good idea. And then I put in my two weeks notice like a month later. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I get it. Like that whole, you know, like, oh, shoot for the moon, land amongst the stars, right? Even if you don't realize or achieve that initial goal, there's so much other shit that you learn You're along the way. So much out of it. So much that you don't even know until you go through it. Well, and you're all that other stuff will give you it. It'll you'll accumulate enough wins over time, right? That that end goal probably, unless you're one of these one percent people that have just this insane drive to be amazing at everything or at the one thing, like a Michael Jordan, a Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant, a Tiger right. Woods, you're probably going to figure out somewhere along the line that this big goal is not the end all be all, and you're right. going to find enough cool stuff in the, yep. the time up there that you're that you're going to go off path and it's probably going to put you at a higher level of success. That's just different from this one. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I think people just have to be willing and just, to, and just, and again, if you go down this path, you're 25 years old and it doesn't work out. You're 25. Right. You have minimum of, especially with people are living to like 110 now. Yeah. You've got a lot of life. You can yeah. Figure out. And if it doesn't, then you, you know, worst case scenario, you die at 26. At least you do went out on your horse. You know, you mm-hmm. went out on your shield and you went out like an action, like an action hero in your own, in your own movie. So I agree. And I totally, and I totally resonate with that. Um, but I would love to kind of like circle back on yeah. like, it's one thing to, it's one thing like when you're in your twenties and your thirties to do that, to specialize and go for that. Like, mm-hmm. but what I'm seeing, you know, working with younger people is that, you know, people are specializing so early into their one thing, right? And they're like, well, if I train year round, then I'm going to make it to the NBA or the MLB, and then yeah. I'll make it there. And, you know, you work with a lot of kids, and I'd love to get your, yeah. your thoughts and feedback on that. All right. So this is, <clears throat> this will be my one big tangent for the day. Go, go for it. You got the mic. <laughs> the biggest downfall that, to U.S. athletics we've ever seen. Um, and it's unfortunate because there's – so youth sports is a billion-dollar-a-year industry. Billion with a B. That's insane. Okay? When I'd love to get a little a bit kid, of that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. it's absolutely insane. Yeah. When I was a kid, you played one sport in the winter. You played one sport in the summer. You played one sport in the spring. And then maybe you just didn't play a sport for a while, and that was fine. You could take a year off. You could do this fast. But this early specialization thing, one, it burns kids out. Mm-hmm. The burnout is so real. And then when you're talking to parents, if you look a parent in the face and you say, hey, I think what we're going to do, you know, Johnny's five. Johnny's doing really good at math. So I think we're not going to teach him English. We're going to stop teaching him English and only have him run math, do math. 
the parents would look at you like they would pull that kid out of your school so fast mm-hmm. it would make your head spin but then when they see little johnny throw a spiral at five years old and someone says hey why don't you come play baseball no johnny's got to play football or, right. or vice versa more it's even more vice versa than baseball baseball ba- i mean baseball softball wrestling and soccer yeah. are probably the four biggest and basketball mm-hmm. are the five biggest like those sports just kill kids uh, and so what you end up doing is, and this can be applied to, to school or to, I will talk, use it in a sports reference, but like when you have a kid only do one sport, we look at like when we're coaching kids, we look at trying to build up, we call them their movement library. Right. So when we have kids come in and most of the, the reality is as a gym owner, we're dealing with people who are specialized or their, their parents aren't going to sign them up for other sports, no matter how many times you tell them. So our role is to give them exposure to as many different movements mm. as we can that are outside that sport. Mm. Uh, so we can build up their movement library. So the mm-hmm. more movements you do, the more planes of motion you're in, the more uh, free, uh, free play you get, the more free movement you get. Uh, so the bigger that library gets. So all of a sudden now, instead of, if you look at, like you go into a school library, if there's only a math section, so you've got just this little area, it's one shelf, it's all math. Well, then someone starts bringing in history books. And so, okay, well, now we're going to read this. And then it's the same idea. So the more, the, and then you have this giant library of movement that when you're in your sport, let's say you're 17 years old and you haven't had to cut and turn and run in 10 years, but you've done it in your strength and conditioning, you've done it throughout sports. Now, when you do that, you don't have to worry about your knee blowing out mm-hmm. because your body's been exposed to it because the body's pretty good. All it really needs is, some sort of exposure to things and it mm-hmm. adapts to it pretty quickly. Right. Um, but when you get these special early specializations, the only thing they're exposed to is throwing throw, uh, or cutting left, cutting right. Um, and so, or jumping or, you know, running down the court and jump, run down, jump, run down, jump. And so you end up with these kids that can only do a certain amount of things. So then when they get to the higher levels of sport, all of a sudden they have to do a task to, you know, the ball speeds faster, the, the people are faster. And then all of a sudden they have to react to something that they've never seen before. And you see their shoulder go, their elbow go. Um, and that's just the traumatic side. Then you have the, you know, the overuse, like the, the amount of Tommy John surgery for kids under 18, the big elbow surgery, all the baseball pitchers get is astronomical. I think it's gone up. It's something insane. It's like 200% in the last 10 years. Right. And that's above the like 200% increase from the 10 years before that. Right. So, uh, and this is all before they even get to college. This is before they've even, before college has even looked at them. This is right. before. And so, you know, we always, whenever we have kids come in, uh, cause as a strength conditioning coach or, or a gym teacher at a school, um, we're not going to be able to, if it was up to me, I would make early specialization illegal and it would be awesome. We could do the whole thing. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So, uh, and I hate this term because it was so overused during the pandemic, but as a, as a coach, you have to learn to pivot your thought process into, okay, I'm not going to get this kid to, this kid's parents want him to be the next Barry Bonds. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to change that. Before the steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Before the steroids. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, although 700 home runs, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I know. Well. <laughs> they just wanted to get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I know I mean, it's a sore he, subject. They, they just... got to let him in. They got to let him in. They will. They uh, will. Uh, but, 
Like you have, so when you're talking with these parents, instead of saying, you can harp on the parents, hey, your kid needs to do eating wrestling. It's just not going to get through. Mm -hmm. So your time with them, whether we have an hour a week, we have two hours a week, we have five hours a week, is okay, we're going to make this their other sport. So when they come in, they're going to do one or two things that are going to get them better at their sport. But the reality is, especially when they're young, that carryover in the weight room goes to all sports. It doesn't mm -hmm. really matter. Like there's, there's no, when they're 10, 12, 11, 13, 14, 15, getting stronger is going to help with everything. Getting faster is going to help. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you address those two things and then you, maybe you do uh, some sort of obstacle course or whatever, just something to expose them to a different range of motion that they're not doing in their sport. So you have two hours a week to build their movement library as much as you can. And so that's kind of like when we were talking earlier about like accepting your weaknesses. The weakness in the U.S. is that youth sports has become so specialized, so politicized that they, they these kids can't not specialize. If you don't play on the right middle school team, you're not going to play in high school. Right. That's on the high school team, right. not the high school club team, but like the actual school is going to like you're going to get you're going to be you're going to get cut or you're going to be on JV or you're going to be whatever just because the coach doesn't know you from the the Indiana all summer league baseball mm -hmm. cornfield extravaganza or whatever. <laughs> um, and True. it's just the, and so by knowing that then as gym owners, as parents, hopefully their people are doing it, they can shift their focus to giving their kid more exposure. Mm. Uh, just like, like the example earlier, if someone told you your kid was never going to learn mathematics because they were really good at writing, everyone would lose their mind. And for some reason, that thought process hasn't transitioned to sport. Uh, and if you look at countries like China, Russia, a lot of the Eastern Bloc countries, and we can all talk about their, uh, how they treat humans in general. Right. All long. But what they've done really well in is so, you know, whenever the Olympics are on, there's always a story it's like, oh, China takes these kids from their parents and they never see their parents again. And they go to the schools and they specialize and they only do the sport forever. Same thing in Russia. That, that's kind of like the, they're the big, bad Russian Chinese uh, training models. Mm -hmm. But really what happens is they, they do, they go through these different provinces and they basically scout kids. So they do, they measure like femur length, uh, wrist, uh, wrist diameter, uh, jumping ability, things like that with just nine-year-old kids, eight, nine-year-old kids uh, in generally rural, very poor areas. Mm -hmm. And they say, Hey, your kid could probably be one day be really good at weightlifting, let's say. So here's what we're offering. We're going to bring your kid to essentially boarding school. They're going to get a high school and college education. They're going to have a chance to excel in the sport. And you get to see your child on all national and religious holidays, which in China is a lot. Like mm -hmm. China and Russian culture have a lot of holidays. Right. way more than we have in the u.s so right. they're still so yes maybe they only see their kids for two days every month or two days every three weeks or two days every two weeks but really what they're doing is they're taking this poor family that otherwise that kid would just be on a farm living basically in just real dirt poor poverty living in a shack or they have this opportunity to go and do something and when they go to those sport schools sports schools it's not okay we're going to wait five hours a day they might say, okay, we have practice four hours a day. What's that look like? Well, two of those hours is 100% like free play style stuff and warm up. And then like, it really, it starts out basically like 80% uh, 
of the time when they're young, basically nine to 11, 80% of the time is spent on general development. So they'll go play soccer, they'll wrestle, they'll box, they'll uh, do hurdles, they'll run, they'll swim, they'll do all that for 80% of their practice time. Then 20% is actually on the skill and development of weightlifting mm. or gymnastics or gymnastics is a little different, but, or baseball or basketball, whatever their specialty sport is. So they do that. And then a couple of years later, that number transitions like 60, 40. So 60% still general, building the general qualities of athleticism, strength, jumping, swimming, again, building their library while it still doesn't matter. They're 14 years old. What China and Russia and some of these other countries, Colombia is good at it too, like know that what they do at 14, no one's going to remember. It's right. cool, them, it's cool, but it's not that important. So they're still at 60, 40. Then when they get to about 16, 16 for women, about 18 for men, then you'll start to see it shift to like 20% general. 80%. And then as they get further in their career, it becomes 10 and 90 or 5% and 95%. Yeah. But that's, but that time span is from nine to almost 20. They have almost an even split or a, oh, probably the average is closer to general qualities before getting into the specialization, mm. which is how we do schooling here, right? You learn all this stuff, you learn all this stuff, you go to college, spend two years still learning all this general stuff, and then you dive into a major. Mm-hmm. They t- just took that model and did it with sports. Right. But we and flipped then, it here in the States. And then we flipped it. We went, okay, cool. That's awesome. We're going to, we're going to have you major in economics at five mm-hmm. and then hope that it works out. Right. And so uh, that, mo- and I have some opinions on like using that model relative to our current welfare system that I don't mm-hmm. think would ever happen, but uh, like that's a good model because all those kids, even the ones that fail out, which are most of them mm-hmm. have a college degree in something whether it's coach and a lot of them go on to be coaches they have to uh but like they can have they can get their degree in whatever they want so if they're mm-hmm. not a prospect to be a coach they can get it in economics they can get it mm-hmm. in uh science and they do the same thing with their stem programs over there too which mm-hmm. is why they're, they're they're so far ahead in technologies mm-hmm. these kids get exposed to a ton early on so that when it's time to specialize they can then go okay if we're looking at the STEM world, like if they're trying to figure out a problem, they can at least understand the economic side of trying right. to do it instead of just the theory of, I want to build a rocket ship. And they realize, oh, well, I've got 12 bucks. Probably can't build a rocket ship, but I can build something cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and same yeah. thing with their athletes. I mean, their athletes have very low injury rates. Now, they do have very reasonably high injury rates when they get to their late 20s, but that's mm-hmm. just sport. Sport mm-hmm. is not healthy. So, and that's the other thing. If you're training to compete, like sports are when you're young, supposed to be about building health and the habit of health and mm-hmm. learning good habits and all this stuff. It used to be about life lessons. And now it's become like sports inherently when you're trying to compete at a high level are not health. Like I would never tell someone, Hey, go play tackle football to lose weight. Right. Why? Cause you're going to get a concussion. You're going to get messed up. Like there's, right. there's this whole league. There's leagues for that. These people get right. paid a lot of money to, to do that. You probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, and so what we've done with our kids is take something that should be healthy when it's a rec league style and we've made it so competitive that now you have kids getting injuries that you're, we're seeing kids get injuries that athletes of like the LeBron's generation before weren't getting until they were almost in their mid thirties. Mm-hmm. That's insane. You know how much extra crap you got to be doing to like yeah. tear a road to like 
to where to, like you see kids with like no cartilage in their knees, right? Like basketball players, you're 17, right? That's an old person injury. That's a 50, 60, 70 year old person injury, right? It's or just, just it's accelerated even for LeBron's generation, and now it's even accelerated even more. It's even more, and and even LeBron. And you would think at some point we would listen to these guys. Like when you listen to LeBron talk, and he's like, "Yeah, I was exhausting. I played three games a weekend." That's how many of these AAU teams playing a day. Right. That's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I mean, and, and unfortunately you have parents like, well, LeBron can do it. My kid can do it. Again, back to that DNA thing, your kid's not LeBron. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's built different, dude. Like, yeah. it's just, you got to accept that, know it. And like, yeah. just, if your kid's that good, he's going to end up getting where he needs to go. Yeah. Like, if your kid is that athletic, and if you let, and that's the other thing, if you let your kid do a lot of sports, the one they'll be most successful at, like we all have a body type or a muscle mm-hmm. body type that is best for some sport or some activity. If you just let your kid play a bunch, that activity will show itself. Right. So if you want your kid to be good at baseball, maybe he's really slow, but then he goes and he drives track and field and all of a sudden he crushes cross country because he can run for three hours without getting tired but he can't sprint the 60 yards he needs to. Mm-hmm. Like you're so worried about him being good at baseball. So it looks right. cool to the dad's club that you don't let him try the, the track and field or the cross country. And so, yeah. But there's also another principle that when I, cause I cross trained, I was doing karate. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I cross trained and did wrestling. And mm-hmm. like one of the biggest things that I've learned during like cross training was that like, how to like your first thing like how do you fail right like yeah. i sucked like if you are like top of your sport right uh-huh. and then you go to another sport you're pretty much maybe you have like some athleticism but you yeah. do not know any technique and you have uh-huh. to like go through that process of just sucking yeah. right of getting pinned i mean i got pinned like every match for a whole year my sophomore oh, year. yeah because i had one move i mean by the my senior year, i had like yeah. three moves but like <laughs> I really wasn't that, <laughs> but like, it was such a learning experience of like, it's so humbling to go oh, in yeah. it's and, being, and if you are just, since you were five years old, everything that you've touched is gold and all you yeah. do is win. Like there's going to be a point in your life where you're not going to win. Cause someone's going to be better than you. Because, someone's gonna be better than you. And that's literally, even when you're LeBron, right. Even when you're yeah. at that age, there's always someone who's working to get better than you. So how do yep. you deal with failure or setbacks or injury? Exactly. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, it's you got to learn how to fail, and I think also it's good, like the. And again, I think it goes back to like the you know like the journey, like you go off your path from the the mm-hmm. end goal. Like you might end up really good at the like if you're a football player, you might end up really good at wrestling. Mm-hmm. And and frankly, I think every person should wrestle for at least two years. Oh. I think that is the best life lesson. Yeah. Any, it is the most grueling sport I've ever. Any known. child can learn if because those kids, especially the ones that are life like not even really lifetime wrestlers, but wrestling will humble you quicker than any sport. Yeah. Because it's because it's not a punching and kicking sport, they let you go live a little more frequently. So you're getting slammed on your head or you're getting slammed two or three days a week in practice at least. And that's when you go live, that's not including the drills that you suck at. Mm-hmm. And this one guy's really like there's always that one kid who's really good at this one drill, but they can't do it on the mat. Yeah. But for that entire practice, you're doing that one drill and you're getting slammed. And mm-hmm. just the mental toughness, the resilience yeah. that wrestling teaches, uh, and the camaraderie that wrestling teaches. There's yeah. like a weird thing when wrestlers get together. It doesn't matter 
where mm. they're from in the world. There's just a thing yeah. that they all know what that felt like. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I think everybody should wrestle. Yeah, I agree. I think that 100%. that is. And there's always that one guy who's like, I remember my, my high school guy, there was like a dude who literally did not look athletic at all, but yeah. he's super lanky. And then like, he can get a leg in and all of a sudden you can't move. And you're like, yeah. why is this guy who looks like he should be doing calculus all day long, like pinning Plus. me and I can't move. And all I do is hit the weight room and there's yeah. nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about it. That's no. I, I had a similar experience. I did judo in college mm. when I was getting ready for worlds. And this kid, what was, it? what was his name? I don't know, but he was like the national champion at 114 pounds. Mm-hmm. This guy threw me around like a ragdoll. Like I was pretty, I always was pretty confident in karate. I didn't get thrown off. Short, low to the ground. I, I was like, okay, I, I'm pretty good not getting thrown. This guy threw me around three days a week for an hour at a time for like six months. Mm-hmm. And it was just, and you're like, all right, well, this is where we're at. Yep. Well, you <laughs> like, grow from that experience. Yeah. And like so many people run from that. They're like, I'm going to suck. I'm going to give up after day one. It's like, yeah. no. You grow so much in your character. Go suck sometimes. It's all right. Go suck a little bit. It's it's fine. Uh, But yeah, no, yeah, wrestling. Every every child should do. And I think it teaches back to that movement library. There's so many weird positions you get Mm -hmm. into wrestling that you will never see in another sport. Mm -hmm. But it makes it. Assuming you don't get hurt in wrestling, uh, it makes you so your joints and stuff so much more resilient. That's why I think like. Even people who do rec like jujitsu one day a week or probably two days a week. Um, obviously, once you start doing it to be competitive, then I mean, any, if you've ever seen like an old jujitsu guy, they can barely walk. Right. Uh, but like, if you look at the best example is uh, like Luke Sartina, always mm-hmm. did wrestling and soccer. And then somehow he was, or jujitsu and soccer on top of his karate. And somehow he was good at it all. Mm-hmm. because he never got burnt out he did one thing for three or four days a week he did another thing for a couple mm-hmm. of days. and it's and tom scott same way he never really competed in other sports but his coaches were really good about like making sure that he stayed athletic not just athletic for karate yeah and and it's the same way with with all sports be, being an athlete is always going to be more important initially than just trying to excel at one particular sport yeah um, and that's a good identity to have actually just being an athlete versus being a baseball player or something exactly. like that. Right. Like, who are you? Because eventually you're go- And I think it's something that with the early specialization and I fell into this trap too, when I was competing in karate, I think so many people create their whole identity around their sport, mm. whether they're good or bad at it, that when that sport's gone, yeah, the things like depression, the anxiety, uh, and you see it, you see it like, uh, like high school or college athletes that, I, what was it? It was something like some study on like depression rates and college athletes, like post-college. Mm-hmm. And it was something like the athletes that didn't do anything outside of school and sport were like mm-hmm. something, some insane number of times more likely to suffer from depression and anxiety because yeah. all they knew was their sport and then that's gone yeah. because they weren't good enough to get to the next level. Right. So they have to face that reality and the reality of like, okay, I haven't had to work for four years. I haven't had to do all these things. And now my one thing that I was, my, I was a baseball player. Mm-hmm. I was a wrestler is now gone. Right. And it's like, if you have the other skill set, then when you get into the normal world, 
it's your, all the lessons you're supposed to learn from sport, hard work, perseverance, uh, dedication, all, you know, all, everything that's written on every locker room ever you can actually use in real life mm-hmm. as opposed to just feeling sorry about yourself because you're no longer this thing. Right. Um, and that's only and so heightened that, with, with Olympic, the Olympians. Did you see that documentary on HBO? Like I think Phelps was like a big part of it. Just that, you know, once you're in the Olympics, right. That's like your thing that you've been training for, for X amount of years. Yeah. Right. Then you have your two weeks of fame where everything's about you. Yeah. And then you're completely judged on whether or not, like if you're, if you did well and succeeded, then everyone still talks about you. Yeah. And even then it's still over. And then if you yeah. don't compete well, then literally no one ever talks about you and you no have no money and yeah. you, and that's literally your whole, your whole life. It's your is, whole thing. Your whole life is if you're a runner, it's like 10 seconds yeah. of your life. Uh-huh. And you know, you gotta, you, I know. And I, I always encourage people like, who are you? You're more than just one thing that you do. You're more than just a yeah. student. You're more than just an athlete. You're a literal person. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk. Let's pivot for Cause I know you you're on a time crunch here too. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you can kind of just l- lump this all in together. So yeah. I know that you, you've gone through some, some tough obstacles in your life. I'd love to hear a little bit yeah. about the obstacles um, how you've grown and what you've learned from them. And then mm-hmm. if you have any pieces of advice um, as we wrap this up, kind of. Yeah. Uh, so probably the biggest obstacles, uh, or I guess defining obstacles, obviously everybody has obstacles all the time. Right. Uh, probably my most defining obstacle is, so my father passed away when I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of thrown into this role of, and it was never expected of me, um, especially not at 12 years old, but, but in, from my view, just kind of the way my father had raised me was right. I was all of a sudden the man of the house. Mm. Now, is that something any 12 year old has to be? No. Did my mom expect that? No, but it was just kind of the, that's what it was like, the, just the thing to do. It was like, all right, well, this, this is this. And now you, now you got to do this. Um, and granted at 12 years old, there's not a whole lot you can do to be a man of the house other than like yard work, right? Like right. you can do yard work and you can, that's about it. Like yeah. that's, that's your thing. You're, you're basically just the muscle around the house and you do things for your, for your parents. Mm. Um, but the things that that taught me were 100% like family first, whatever that family is, whether it's your actual family, whether it's your uh, very close friend group, but like family's got to come first, regardless of what goals you're chasing. Um, and with that, because my dad was a, pretty successful in his career so we he would like we there he would travel a lot he would do this or that um you also have to know that what you're doing can help your family so a lot of times when people say family first you'll see people like throw away entire careers just to go do xyz for their family and learning how to balance like okay what's but then that person ends up being almost like bitter towards Mm. um that situation and then that becomes an excuse and that becomes this and then you see them get bogged down and kind of just shoot themselves in the foot over and over again because their bitterness is, is taking them that way. So family first doesn't mean family only. It just means like if your mom needs help with something, like you go do it, but you just work around all your other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so family first, he was real big on um, – really no excuses. Like it, it was never, not, any of these lessons I learned from were never really spoken. He never, outside the dream big and dare to fail thing because he was friends with Norman Vaughn, which is the only reason I even know who that guy is. Wow. 
uh, it was never like we never sat down and like had these these like you got to do this. It was just watching him uh, go through. You know, he had a heart disease that he had gotten like in the 80s, even before I was born. Mm. And like he was super active, ran marathons, all that, had this heart disease, now he couldn't. So he figured out, okay, what else can I do that's still active? And so he found different passions to follow. Like he was real big in outdoors because mm. you could walk those. Like you weren't running up, but you could go hiking, you could go canoeing, you could do all these things that still kept him active without, even though the initial thing of like, oh, I really enjoy running marathons is now taken away. Mm. And so I think that's something that, uh, and while doing that, he was still very successful in his career, very successful in his family life. And I think that to me always stood out by and things are going to go wrong and it's up to you whether you, you want to keep going or not. Mm. Um, and frankly, you just have to, the real world isn't going to feel sorry for you. Your, your circle will, your circle will be there for you, but like, you got, you still got to go do stuff regardless right. of, regardless of your personal situation. Um, so I was really just that I learned a lot from was like, I mean, he would go like, he'd end up like if he was, he was always determined to get his like camping and hiking trips in. So like he'd be in the hospital one week and like five days later, we'd be going on a camping trip because for him, that time with he and I was worth, was just that important. Mm -hmm. And so that was important enough for him that a lot of people could say, well, I was in the hospital, so I'm not going to do that. Like, no, like, let's do it later. So he was. But he was also kind of like we talked about earlier, knowing your success and accepting your weaknesses and knowing your strengths. And so he knew he was on a limited timeline. So he made sure that all of his kids got certain time. And so mm -hmm. I always thought that was, that was cool. Uh, and that's where just a lot of like the way I look at things, sometimes it's too pragmatic. It's a little bit too logical. Mm. And that like, Hey, I know you're like, I struggle with people will say, you know, well, I'm sad. And I'm like, okay, so like, still got X, Y, Z. Like, you still got to do the thing, right? Uh, and sometimes that comes off as callous, or you know. But the reality is, like, it's still the reality. Like, the the reality is a shift just because something bad happens. You still got to get stuff done, right? Um, and you can wall. You get it's like that. I saw a quote. It was like, you get five minutes, five emotional minutes a day, and then you got to be a gangster or something like that. Like, that's just <laughs> what like this. Like, all right, cool. This bad thing happened. This sucks. Yeah. Cool. Now keep going. Uh, that's what my family always taught me was like you know when we're inside the house like let it all out but like when you go out into the real world like you've got to put on your front and work you gotta and, put on your face yep because i don't want you don't want anyone to know you know and yeah, that's hard and, and that can be misconstrued in many ways like you oh yeah but there's there's some truth said to that as well oh yeah well i mean it's we always like i grew up in a we were never like super wealthy but i grew up in a very wealthy town in indiana Mm -hmm. grew up in zionsville mm. and we my mom and i used to always talk about how behind every white pig offense is a story that no one's heard about mm. and that's true every family has a thing yeah and and pain and all that is relative you know someone in a poor situation they might say well they've got it easy but just everything it's so but the things going on behind that door to that person might be unbelievably hard to get through even if yeah. it seems like no big deal right. but you still got to learn to, okay, this really sucks, but I still have to get this done. Mm -hmm. And frankly, showing too much emotion towards a situation takes away from your ability to get things done because other people then, and maybe this is just me thinking old school, but mm -hmm. 
if people see that you are overcome by the emotion of this one thing happening, then they're going to be less likely to reach out to you for stuff because mm. being emotional is good. Being in touch with your emotions is good, but you can't let anyone else know. Like if you're exhausted from working all the time or you're this or that, like those things, no one else should know about except for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then I think subconsciously people go, okay, well, they're tired. I won't ask them. And that thing they may have asked you for, while well, may have felt like a big task at the time, may have been the thing that pushed you towards whatever your next goal is. Right. Um, and I think that's something that, that we've got, we've almost gotten to the point of like embracing being sad, which is weird to me. Mm-hmm. Like, like you see Instagram posts all day of like, Oh my goodness, my dog died. I'm so sad. And it's like, all right, then why are you posting? Like if, if that event, I'm very much anti internet, but yeah, if that, that thing affects you so much, why, go focus on that thing. And that was something mm-hmm. that, um, I was like the just like the push forward lesson I learned from my dad was like this thing can bother you. It's okay that it affects you. So go handle it. Go handle the thing. Mm. If your dog just died, go be with your family and bury your dog. If your mother just died or someone in your family or you know you failed a test like in, or you didn't get into your school of choice, deal with that battle internally so that when you do succeed, people just see that part and you don't have to. Uh, because it's easy if you're always getting attention for being sad to stay sad mm. because people like attention right so um oh crap got your earbud fell out it's all good <laughs> uh, but yeah so i think my probably the next biggest obstacle was so uh, we talked a little bit off camera about uh so i have lymphedema in my legs mm. which essentially is my legs swell up um uh, pretty much uncontrollably like if, if i didn't wear compression socks uh, it's to the point that like if i just let them go i can't fit on like a pair of like boot cut jeans or like a pair of sweatpants like my especially my like my calves uh, and being in sports my whole life uh, was just some and you know i'm, I'm a teenager i'm a human i'm a little vain like i you know you want to look good you know like it's yeah. a it's a weird thing and it's generally something you only see in like old people and like morbidly obese people like mm. you see it all the time in my 600 pound life mm-hmm. um unfortunately i'm not 600 pounds so yeah um it was kind of a weird thing to especially as a teenager like okay i've got this weird thing like how do i deal with this and that's where like the cure i was talking earlier about like always be curious and that okay the doctors were basically initially they're just like hey this is just what you got cool and it was yeah, like, well, good that, luck. that can't be the case. Um, so, I mean, we spent probably five years, I mean, almost every other month with a new type of doctor, whether it was a vein doctor, a genetic, we went to a geneticist, we went to heart doctors, we went to, like at one point they sent me to a cancer doctor just because uh, women with breast cancer get lymphedema. So like, how do we try to see if there was like a thing? And it wasn't until like five years later that someone was like, hey, have you tried compression socks? Like the old people like pantyhose looking things and i was like oh no we have uh, does nike make those you know that's how yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so we're like all right cool so i found those and once we found those like my life completely i felt nor- like it was like instantly like okay now i'm normal whereas like i mean it's still weird like i still sleep with my legs up i still gotta do it. there's a lot of care that goes with it but like when you're in high school learning how to like have this because i had two i have a couple things working against me. I'm short, 
mm-hmm. a massive head and then I had these fat angles. <laughs> right. So and as a high schooler, that's like you're it's, already weird. You got not a recipe for that's not a recipe for success. And so like learning how to to look beyond that, have self-esteem and and do all that was something that uh, always just learning how to go through that, I think was huge for me because now it's anything that happens. Uh, well, it might seem vain because it really is a vanity thing. Like it did for me personally, anyway, it never took away from my range of motion. Some people get it really bad mm. where like, and that well, was one thing I had to look at. Like some people just keeps them from doing anything mm-hmm. and I'm traveling the world fighting. Like, right. It's annoying. It sucks. You know, my legs look like an elephant, but I'm still doing the things I would want to do anyway. Mm. So like, um, it really helped keep things in perspective, even as a teenager on how do we do like how how do we do that Um, Mm -hmm. and so i think that's just something that's important to learn um is the sooner you can just be comfortable with who you are the and your circumstances the easier it is to get past the hard stuff Mm. Uh, i think a lot of teenagers you know are not teenagers but unfortunately being comfortable with who you are is is turned into like this thing where it's like People be jerks for whatever reason. Like, well, this is just who I am. Well, okay, that's not what I'm saying. Don't if you're yeah. an asshole, you gotta fix that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but if your circumstance is okay, you have no money right now, or you have you're failing your your classes or you're doing whatever, don't let that circumstance take away from your ability to fix that circumstance. Mm, and it doesn't I, define you. No, it doesn't define you, and there's always a way to fix it. Mm. Like you don't have to be smart to get straight A's you just have to be willing to work. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you have like, and the more you work, the better, the easier it is to get straight A's. Mm-hmm. Now you might have to work five times as hard. Like there's mm-hmm. always those kids in school. They're just smart and they can go party on the weekend, study for like 30 minutes a night, somehow manage to get all their schoolwork done. And you're stuck inside studying for four hours a day just to get the same, re- same or worse result. Mm-hmm. And so just, but knowing that gives you the, when you get to the real world, that's going to carry you a lot further than letting whatever situation you're in define who you are forever. Mm, yeah. Uh, and then, um, but yeah, so that was a big one. Um, and that's still something I deal with today. Like I have to make sure I'm not on my feet too long and all that stuff. And, um, but it hasn't, I mean, I chose a career where I'm on my feet all day, so it, maybe not the best. No, <laughs> maybe for my but life. it fulfills you, man. I mean, yeah, you're right. like, I've had yet to see anyone more fired up about what they do than you. Thank you. So, uh, but yeah, it's just like, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll deal like, I want to do this. So I got to be on my feet. All right, cool. Well, let's figure out a way to keep the swelling down as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't take away from my ability to do activity. So it's really not that bad. It's just yeah. a major inconvenience, um, which is way better. I'd rather have to deal with this and like be one of those people who loses their keys every day because minor inconveniences are the worst. Mm. Uh, but, but yeah, so uh, yeah, then the, Another obstacle. So I had a family member who was uh, kind of like the whole white pig offense thing I was mm-hmm. earlier. Was um, I had a family member who was uh, an addict, and it, like to the point that basically my mom and I raised my niece for a few years. Um, and in high school, I would take my niece to preschool, picking her up. Um, and what I learned from that was one uh, that mothers are a different level of strong than any dude will ever be ever. Like. There's just the strength that moms have that dudes just aren't built for. Um, 
And so, but like learning how to balance that. So, okay, got to pick up my niece, but I still want to be a kid. I'm 17. Like, so I learned how to balance that. And, uh, and I took a lot of lessons, like just from my mom on how to, hang, and she's very similar. The whole, like, you know, you can break down inside, you can do your thing inside, but then once you go outside, like this is your face and mm-hmm. you got to run with it. And putting on that face will help the inside the house stuff. Because if you have to be strong and confident all day long, eventually you start to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom's like my best friend. So uh, yeah, like that time was always like, was obviously weird and hard, but we got between my father passing away and that we've become like, we hang out like twice a week. So mm-hmm. that's fun. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, th- I would say those are probably the big, biggest obstacles. And obviously there's people with worse obstacles, yeah. uh, which is another thing. Like, yeah, all those things suck, but at the same time it could be worse. So yeah. And I still get to, it, ne- none of those things. When I was younger, I let them define me pretty hard. Uh, but the more comfortable I got in my skin, it was just like, it's just part of my, my human experience. And so yeah. you deal with it and you move on pretty much. Well, dude, I know you got to go uh, open up the gym now because it's almost, it's almost that time. But I just want to say, appreciate you. Um, you've, you've given a lot of, even just me, a lot of things to think about. So I know that. I love, I love having ideas that challenge the status quo, especially with like sports in America, because, you know, an hour on that alone. Well, you know, we may have you back depending on how many people (laughs) like this. I may just for me have it because, you know, it is, it is crazy. Even just think about the, the power that, you know, the sports industry has NFL now owns Sundays. I mean, like it it took Sunday from the church. It's gone. It's It's just, it's It's gone. And now it's got Saturdays. I didn't even realize it. It's got Saturdays, and then what was it? This the wild card weekend was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Monday. Sunday, it's got Friday. Monday. They've taken Thursday. I mean, they that's just Thursday. like it's it's unbelievable. The sports are awesome, and I love them. Oh, me too. There's got to be at some point we got to shift the focus back to family, yeah, in some capacity. And, and what are we supposed to learn from sport rather than just winning, right? Because that's exactly. for me. That's the downfall. Is that you know you either are the one percent who wins or you're just you're everybody else you're everyone else right and uh, that takes i mean if we go back to like the actual principle of failing failing is like learning how to fail and grow from failure that will take you that'll help you find success in every aspect of your life it's and we've taken every, that principle from sport and removed it it completely removed it now so, you have to win you have like the ball brothers are the best example of that mm-hmm. now they turned out pretty good but like their whole life was around winning basketball yeah. Like what really do you have in life? Your whole goal is around winning a game. And if you even watch videos of LaMelo Ball, like I think I saw this. He didn't even think he was going to make it to the NBA. I mean, like when you when you see like I think yeah. it was on all, oh, you know, Ball in the Family or whatever. But he was they're like, so you're going to make the NBA? He's like, I don't think so. You know, which yeah. is insane to think that that's your whole life. And you don't even think that you're going to you accomplish to your goals. You're like, I'm not going to do this. I'm like, do we got some deep seated issues here that we need to talk about considering yeah. And still, oh, yeah. that whole family just like it's gone. It's gone, and so. it's it's just yeah. We at some point we've lost the idea of being human first and not being our thing. Like you yep. see, even with like highly successful business people, where it's like their whole identity is that, and then their company gets sold. Yeah, you know they get bought out, and then all of a sudden they're well, what do I do now? It's like there's so much more between, um, you know. Like you gotta, you gotta have a religious foundation. I'm a mm-hmm. Christian, mm-hmm. And okay. Obviously, but 
like you got to have something that hold that centers you right uh, and even to this day anytime i feel like and i'm catholic well catholic christian mm. to this day my go-to and I, i'm never i'm not the best christian by any means but uh whenever life gets too hectic too stressful just knowing that i can just wake up on a sunday or go on a wednesday just go to a mass and just get away from everything and like mm. just recalibrate yeah uh, and whether that's the meditation, whether that's the prayer, whatever your thing yeah. is, you got to have your thing that lets you recalibrate. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to, you'll just go, you'll go nuts. Like, and, and it, you got to realize there's more to life than achievements. Mm. And you need achievements to pay, to, to do some of the things you need in life. Like, it's not to yeah. say like, okay, I really want to draw. Well, if you suck at drawing, you probably shouldn't <laughs> just travel the world and live in the woods and draw. Like, you're probably not like, you yeah. got to know, like, okay. Hey, cool. I would love to be artistic. I'm not. So, you yeah. know, I'm not, I'm definitely not going and like trying to draw mountains caves. Yeah. Cause I'll be living in a ditch in like three minutes flat. The yeah. first time I draw one, people are like, dude, don't like you're yeah. fired. Like, yeah. don't have, like <laughs> I'm getting kicked out of like every art gallery in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, but having that thing that's that refocuses you, recenters you is just, yeah. Same prayer for me and go even i mean i've got a lot of going on in my life too it's just it prayer and like going back to god it puts everything in perspective of like yeah. okay i have these worries that are you know like really weighing on me right now but like in the grand scheme of things one do they really matter and yeah. why am i trying to control everything to make exactly. it perfect because if i truly believe in god or any kind of higher power for me then he should have it all he'll figure it out planned out right and it yeah. all will work out but if yeah. i'm sitting here freaking out about it for no reason i'm just making my current situation worse for me for everyone exactly. around me exactly so. and it just makes it yeah no i think and i unfortunately i think what's weird is that's the unpopular opinion right now which really that's it could be a whole nother conversation but like you're gonna be fact, you're gonna be a regular guest on this thing then on the regular guy <laughs> The fact that we've made it weird to be religious is strange to me. But, yeah. Uh, and unfortunate, very unfortunate. And I think is probably fairly directly tied to some of like the increase in anxiety, depression, things like that. Mm. Because if you have no center, you, of course you're going to bounce all over the place. Right. Everything's going to worry you if you don't have any, it's like, if you didn't have a home, you're always going to be worried about the weather. If you know, you don't have somewhere to go, right. what, the, what the wind's doing, what the rain's doing is going to bother you way more than if you're like, okay, you know, there's a storm. Let me get inside. And right. that's to me what religion could, should be for everybody. Like, all right, life's throwing everything at me. Let's mm -hmm. get back to, get back to home base. And then we can, we can kind of figure it out from there. Right. And even just think about guidance for how to move forward, how to treat people. Right. Like exactly. if, you know, there's so many different things that like, I'm stressed out about my own thing. And I don't realize how that's affecting other people until I go watch a sermon or listen to something or read. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I'm a complete ass. And I'm being a jerk. Yep. I need to go make some amends <laughs> to the people around me. I need to go say But that. if the only voice you're listening to is your own, then how are you ever going to get there? Right. You never get there. Yeah. Right. So it's crazy. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you. We're definitely going to have you back on um, yeah, at man. some point to talk about Thanks all this. Thanks for having me on, dude. This is awesome. Yeah, and I will encourage everyone to go check. I'm gonna link all your stuff on Instagram because if you're if you're an athlete or you're just a person who's looking to increase mobility, um, to be better prepared for your sport, 
check this guy out because I give you a 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10. <laughs> if I can give you, if I can give you 10 Google stars, I would, but I can only give you five. Um, but I'll link it. Go check out uh, Mass, right? This is what Moran Academy for Strength and Speed. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Just uh, Instagram, Moran.academy. Okay. Pretty, I'll link it up. Forward, yeah. All right, Good bro. Evening. All right. Well, have fun at the gym today and uh, stay dry because we got a storm. So, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Speaking of storms. All right. Yeah, later. no kidding. Hey, see you, Chris. Appreciate All right, later. you, man. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast this week. Uh, new episodes of the Wake Up with Welbrick podcast drop every Tuesday. All right. So, get ready. Got a great new feature coming up for you next week. Have a great one, guys.